This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, the scripture reading this morning comes from the uh, fourth chapter of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 4. Uh, we'll read verses 23 to 25 at the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Matthew 4, verse 23. When you find it, would you stand? <clears throat> and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning, Lord, for the gospel, for deliverance from sin unto salvation. Lord, thank you for your word that we have before us, your will revealed to us, made known. Lord, what a privilege uh, you've given it to us in written form. We can have, we can hold, we can read. Lord, what a privilege to know You. We ask this morning as we look at this passage that You open our understanding. I ask that You enable me to speak. Deliver the message You would have delivered here. And Lord, I ask that You enable all of us hear and understand what you are saying in your word. Lord, may we uh, be affected in such a way that um, our desire would be to honor you, glorify you in all things, and also that we would reach out to the lost Take the message you've freely given to us and deliver it to those who still need to hear. Again, may it all be for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Turn with me to, uh, if you're not already there, in Matthew 4. And I want to consider this morning uh, specifically, and I know we've already, we've already talked about this some, but we're going to Continue looking at it. Uh, the uh, the ministry of Jesus, specifically here, his uh, Galilean ministry. Um, Matthew gives us three aspects here that uh, I want to focus in on this morning, and they're not they're not totally distinct. I'll I'll try to to uh, point that out as we go. How uh, one describes another, or there's a little bit of overlapping here, um, and then what I hope to do tonight is as we start, and if you notice, you look into chapter 5, we're going to be beginning the, uh, the Beatitudes. And so what I hope to do tonight is, is uh, begin to look more in detail at, at the content of Jesus' message. We've, we've talked a lot about uh, preaching and some about the content, content in, uh, uh, and application uh, in a little bit broad terms. You know, we, just for example, we, we talked about... Uh, how John the Baptist came on the scene, preaching repent for the kingdom of God is near. Um, and, and by the way, this, this is the focus of, of Matthew's message here. Again, Jesus in uh, chapter 4, verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same word-for-word message that John the baptizer was declaring. So the, the exhortation is, is repent. We talk about, we define that, it's a change of mind, and it's a turning 
from and a turning to. So you turn from sin and self, and that's going to be important uh, today, tonight. Turn from sin and self and turn to Christ. That's uh, a simple definition of repentance. A change, when we say change of mind, it, it encompasses all of that because your, your whole outlook, your whole mindset changes. So he came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's, it's an announcement, Jesus preaching, John the Baptist preaching. It's an announcement of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to pick up uh, that same theme, theme this morning and, and, uh, and, and begin to focus in on, on uh, how Jesus does that, how He does His ministry, how He does th- the, this kind of proclamation. In fact, chapters 5, 6, and 7, we get a great example of it, right? Long discourse here uh, concerning the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. All right, so let's go back to verse 23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Literally there, um, Jesus was going around in all Galilee, now, the Greek language, the Koine Greek is a picture language, so there's a lot of times there is a, uh, it's often called a picture language, and that's because, the, you know, the very structure, the very wording, a lot of times, paints pictures of what's happening. Uh, we don't have that uh, a lot in English, and so it's hard to, it's hard to communicate that. For example, when Jesus talks about the Pharisees, uh, when they come bringing their tithes, you know, giving, speaks of them blowing a trumpet, you know, to announce, you know, that they're that they're giving, that they're doing service to God, and and the idea there is is a, is someone, you know, marching up and down, blowing the trumpet, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me, and so so you get that kind of uh, those kinds of pictures in the wording. Are, uh, for example, here in passage, we'll Lord willing be dealing with soon, um, chapter five, verse five. Blessed are the meek. Well, what is your idea of, of, of meek? What do you think when you hear that word? A lot of times what people think of is weakness of some sort. And that's, that's not really what's being communicated here. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's more, I would paraphrase it this way, it's the idea of submission because the wording is the idea of a, of a saddle-broke horse. Blessed are the meek. You're like a saddle-broke horse. And if you've ever um, had a horse or fooled with a horse much, um, submission is a big thing with a horse. I mean, you, you've got to get it in their head that you're at the top of the pecking order. And if you get that drilled into their head, they will submit to you. Um, but until then, they just, they just fight. And so uh, a saddle-broke horse is one who's been brought into submission. So that picture is there. The, the Greek language has those kinds of pictures. Um, so here, again, the wording is such that Jesus was going around in Galilee. That is, he's traveling around, probably not hitting every single town, but he's, he's circulating around in Galilee. And he actually does this three times over his ministry, um, three, three different uh, tours, uh, put it in modern terms there, tours of, uh, of Galilee. A.T. Robertson uh, <coughs> describes, he's a 20th century Greek, theologian describes it this way. He says, This is the first of three tours of Galilee made by Jesus. This time he took the four fishermen whom he had just called to personal service. The second time he took the twelve. On the third he sent the twelve on ahead by twos and followed after them. He was teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom in the synagogues chiefly and on the roads and in the streets where Gentiles could hear. That's, that's an interesting side note, by the way. Um, and I think that's one reason Matthew uh, says, uh, or actually quotes from Isaiah back in, in uh, verses 14 and uh, 14 through 16. Um, By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the nations, that is. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. 
So that's an interesting side note because Jesus Himself, right, says in one place, I've, I've not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But here we find, because there was a mixture in the population in, in uh, Galilee, here, here we find it at least implied um, that the Gentiles are, are gleaning uh, some of Jesus' benefits from some of Jesus' ministry. They are getting to here as well. Even though He's primarily going to the Jews and He's teaching in the synagogues and in the streets where the Jews were, um, there is a mixture there of Gentiles. So they are also uh, getting to hear the Gospel. So Jesus is here traveling around Galilee preaching the Gospel. To Jews, and as we said, though he's not specifically targeting Gentiles here, they are probably, uh, well, we know that they're getting in, in on it some. For example, the, the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus, um, you know, they, they also are getting some of the children's crumbs, right? All right, now, um, every night, just thinking a little, little personal note here. Every night we, we pray as a family um, for our community, you know, asking God to grant us opportunities to share the gospel. Um, and, and I think, uh, well, I, I think of that in, in a couple of ways. One, you know, when I, when I say our community, I'm thinking, you know, of the Halton area, Halton, Fillmore area. And I do specifically ask for, you know, specifically desire uh, opportunities in this geographical area. Uh, I think we're positioned here for a reason. There's people here uh, to be reached. But, and, and that's all important, but we don't want to limit it to that. So I, so I think of it in, in, uh, in terms of sphere of, we could say it this way, sphere of influence. So in other words, when, when, I, when I go to work, for example, on, on my uh, secular job, um, I'm, I'm not in Halton. And, I, and I'm dealing with people who don't live in Houghton. But I, but I want to be a witness there as well. And I want to have opportunities there as well to share the gospel. So, uh, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in those terms when I'm asking for opportunities. In this little geographical area and in, in the sense of whoever I come into contact with. You know, at, at, at work, at the grocery store, at, at the... Uh, uh, at, at Walmart or whatever it is, or, you know, out of town if you're on vacation or something. Uh, and then we should also be willing, I think, to uh, think in terms of indirect influence. That is, I mean, we can pray for people reaching other areas, and we can give to support those efforts. And sometimes it can be more direct. Sometimes we can go, even though it will be for uh, maybe for short term. We can go. So we don't want to limit ourselves to this little geographic area when we think about reaching the lost. But, but we do understand that this is the primary place that, that God has uh, given us for ministry. So here, here Jesus is in the area in, he's, in which He lives. He's reaching out. But at the same time, He's, he's affecting uh, others too, the Gentiles as well. And, and what is He doing? Uh, he's preaching the gospel. I mean, we're getting the, the same, uh, same thing again. Uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, Jesus, uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is what He's doing as He's traveling about Galilee. He's preaching this message. Now, I said Matthew gives us three aspects. So let's, let's, uh, let's consider those. And I think really there's some... some uh, Overlap here, which I'll explain, um, but I'm going to give you a couple possibilities. Verse 23, again, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching. So there's the first one. We got, we got three here, teaching, preaching, and healing. I mean, Matthew's now describing to us what Jesus is doing and how He's doing it, where before He just kind of summed it all up. Like in chapter four, verse seventeen, he just kind of sums it all up. This is, if you if you could just boil it down to what Jesus is doing, he is proclaiming, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." 
now he's going to give us uh, uh, more detail. He's, he's doing this by teaching, preaching, and healing. And then when we get into chapter 5, we, we get even more detail and we, we get the very, the very content um, of some of Jesus' uh, messages. So first of all, teaching. Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Um, simply, think of teaching this way. It's, it's the idea of explaining, right? Or expounding. And explaining or expounding what? I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't going in the synagogues teaching mathematics. He wasn't going in the uh, synagogues uh, teaching nuclear physics. Although I would argue he was capable of doing that. <laughs> it's important um, to know, you know, and, and not just like just kind of assume it, but I mean to take notice of it. What is Jesus teaching? He's teaching the Word of God, the revealed Word of God. He's expounding on, explaining what is written, the Scripture, right? And then this becomes um, the habit. Uh, not only of Jesus, but of, of the apostles and of their disciples and, and on, on down the line, hopefully right down to our day. And this, in other words, this is an example for us to follow. Teaching the Word of God. Now, one commentator describes it this way because he, he's making a distinction between teaching and preaching, which again I'll come back to in a moment. But he describes teaching as explaining something already known. Explaining something already known. That certainly is what Jesus is doing. He's going into the synagogues where He's dealing with Jews who are very familiar with the Old Testament revelation. In other words, uh, the Word of God from, from Genesis through Malachi. That's, that's what they had for Scripture in their day. Now, this is... This is, we're reading about New Testament times, so this is before the New Testament is written and while it's being recorded. So what they have, what they have as Scripture is what we now have as the Old Testament. So Jesus goes into the synagogues, takes something they are very familiar with, the Old Testament. Again, they didn't call it that, they just, you know, the Scripture. We call it the Old Testament. Takes something they're very familiar with and explains it to them. Say, well, if they're so familiar with it, why does he have to explain it? Well, because many of them, um, though they may have been familiar with the words, um, they, they, they did not understand the meaning. Uh, primarily that all the Scripture spoke of Jesus. He's coming as the fulfillment of what the Old Testament uh, revelation um, proclaims. And so he's going into the synagogues now, expounding on the Old Testament, explaining, teaching. A couple of other examples of this, because I want you to see that uh, it's not only him. This is this is this is an example that the apostles follow uh, and others. But but let me start with him. With Jesus, John 5:39, which I just alluded to, Jesus says to the Jews, "You search the scriptures." He's talking about again what we call the Old Testament. Literally, the word there is the writings. You search the writings, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. That's an astounding statement. And an explanation that, frankly, uh, many of them didn't appreciate. He said, you search the Scriptures, and you think in the Scripture you have eternal life. And I'm paraphrasing now, but, but what he's suggesting is, but you don't, even, you don't even understand that the Scriptures are testifying about me. Now, he's not just talking about specific passages. Uh, for example, like, like we saw back in... Uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, there's a, uh, a quote there from Isaiah, and uh, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, that certainly refers to Jesus. That's why, that's why Matthew uses it. He's taking that passage 
and showing how Jesus fulfills it. But Jesus here doesn't mean that there are just certain passages that speak of me. What He's telling the Jews is all of the Old Testament, all of God's revelation speaks of me. Jesus is the subject of the Old Testament revelation. And now He's, he's explaining that. He's letting them know that. So there's one example, John 5.39. Um, another example, this is uh, where He meets the, uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And beginning, this is Luke 24.27, Luke 24.27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, again, is another way of referring to the, what we call the Old Testament, the writings, the Scripture, Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. So he's explaining to them, he's taking the Scripture, beginning at Moses, book of uh, first five books of, uh, of the uh, Scripture written by, penned by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Beginning there and then with all the rest of Scripture, Jesus begins to explain to them the things concerning Himself. So He's teaching. He's teaching them the Scripture. Uh, also in that same passage, um, Luke twenty four forty four. then He said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning Me. Another way of referring to the Old Testament Scripture. Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And Jesus says, all the things that are written there concerning me must be fulfilled. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of that kind of teaching. Uh, well, here's, here's one of, of Apollos in Acts 18.28. He vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now, how did Apollos do that? He showed it from the Scriptures. He taught them by explaining the Scriptures and how Jesus fulfilled the Scriptures. Uh, another uh, thing to note, Jesus taught, and this is, this is one thing, obviously, that set Him apart from everybody else. He taught with authority. Uh, we're going to see that in Matthew 7:29. For he he taught them as one having authority. Now this is at the end of uh, the Olivet Discourse, the Sermon on the Mount. He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And you see that in 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 uh, for example when he says things like, uh, "You've heard it said, but I say unto you," right? So you've heard it said, for example, not to uh, not to commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you even look upon a woman and lust after in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he taught with authority. Now, let me let me say quickly: if if you if you hear anybody else, including myself. <laughs> Hopefully you'll never hear that. But if you hear anybody else put their teaching on the same plane with Scripture, um, run from them. Run from them. All right. The kind of authority that Matthew is talking about here that Jesus uh, ascribes to Himself um, is that kind of authority. He's putting His own teaching. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. He's putting His own teaching on the same plane with Scripture. Because he's, he is the Word of God. But anybody else does that, um, it's time to turn them off. You know, change channels or, you know, leave, whatever. Okay, and they, Mark one twenty two again, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And that same chapter, Mark one twenty seven, they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? 
What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Luke 4.32, they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. And Luke 4.36, they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. So his teaching was explaining the word of God, and he taught, uh, he was unique in this sense, uh, uh, he taught with authority, with that kind of absolute authority. Now, hopefully, uh, I'm also teaching with authority, but not, uh, uh, not inherent authority. It, it, my, my, the authority that I have as I teach is solely based upon uh, the Scripture. So, in other words, as long as what I'm saying uh, accurately represents what the Scripture says, then it's authoritative. But uh, when I go beyond that, uh, I lose authority. All right, so teaching, essentially he's explaining the Word of God. Now, secondly, preaching. He's going about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, here's I told you I was going to give you a couple of views on these two terms, teaching and preaching. Um, some of the commentators view them as being distinct so that, for example... One, as I already mentioned, one explains teaching as uh, explaining something already known, and then it describes preaching as announcing something new. So, for example, that could play out this way. Uh, first part, when it says he's teaching, it, it, it speaks of him as going into the synagogues. So he's going into the synagogues where, in one sense, the truth is already known. That is, people know the Word of God. They just don't understand it accurately. So he goes in there and takes what they already know, the Old Testament revelation, and he explains it to them. He he unpacks it. He unfolds it so that they can understand it. But in preaching, um, would we pictured him going in the streets and, and wherever... So, in places where even the Gentiles could hear. And he's announcing the coming of the kingdom. And so, for them, this is, this is totally new. So, again, some, some view a distinction, uh, some see a distinction there. Teaching, explaining something known. Preaching, announcing something new. Alright? Now, I'm gonna have a little different twist here. Um, although I, what I just said to you, uh, has some validity. I mean, I mean, definitely, teaching is explaining, uh, specifically explaining the Word of God, and definitely preaching is announcing. That's what the word means here, uh, to announce or to herald. Literally, again, it's another one of those picture words because you 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 get the the picture of the uh, the, the uh, herald. You know, the king the king issues a decree, and one of these. Uh, uh, ancient kingdoms, the king issues a decree, and then the herald goes out into the streets and, and begins to announce the decree to everyone. That's what this word caruso, that's what this word preaching means. To herald, to announce, to proclaim. So Jesus goes teaching and preaching. But now here's um, a little different uh, take that I'm going to submit to you on how these terms relate to each other in this passage. Verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. First, what he's doing, going about all Galilee, going around in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. And I think the next phrase, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, is descriptive. Of his teaching. In other words, what what is what is his teaching about? What does it consist of? He's announcing the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom. His his teaching, yes, it is explaining the word of God, but in doing that, he's explaining to them that. The kingdom of God has come. You know, you've seen it. 
in the Old Testament prophecies. Now he's announcing the arrival. It has come. Let me, let me give you one example of that, alright? Let's go to Luke 4 for just a moment. We've, we've looked at this, uh, in the past several times, and, and, uh, when we went through Luke, of course, we looked at it, um, spent some time on it. But here's one example. Jesus preaching or teaching in his own hometown synagogue. In one sense, you, you, this would be like the worst place to do what he's about to do here. <laughs> Your own, your own hometown synagogue where everybody knows you. Everybody saw you grow up. Everybody knows your mother, your brothers, and your sisters. Jesus goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. Nazareth, verse 16. Came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And stood up to read. Um, boy, I don't really want to get on a rabbit trail here, but can I give you can I give you one side note here? Because this always, I think, jumps out at me at, the, at this passage. There is no command in the scripture. Take note of this. There is no command in the scripture for the Jews to attend Sabbath. Worship in the synagogue. There is no command in the Scripture for the Jews to attend synagogue service. Which, um, I would say there's like a parallel, you know, as far as Old Testament worship, and now here we are, New Testament worship. I would say there's a bit of a parallel between synagogue worship and what we do here. I mean, what we do here is greatly influenced by Jewish synagogue worship. There is no command in the Scripture for the Jews to attend the synagogue. Why do I point that out? Look at verse 16 again. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was. Even though there was no Old Testament command, even though this was not part of the Mosaic Law, it was, if you will, it was a tradition of men born out of pragmatism during the, uh, when the Jews were carried away into captivity and they could not get to the temple, which they were commanded to worship at the temple. But when they were in, in held captive in Babylon, because they could not get to the temple to offer sacrifices and so forth, they began to meet. Uh, they began this thing we now know as synagogue worship. They began to meet, study the Word of God, pray together. And synagogues were born, okay? Um, out of, out of uh, uh, you know, just being practical, pragmatic. Jesus honored that tradition. I point that out because a lot of times today people argue attending church is, is not commanded in the Bible. With which I would agree. It's not. There's no command that says, look, you go to church every Sunday or you're going to hell. But, I do think uh, it's wise to follow Jesus' example. And if He saw the importance of coming together as a body for corporate worship and corporate study... Um, Probably important for us to do it as well. This was his custom. All right, that's a side note. So he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, this is what they would do. They would have the public reading of Scripture. Obviously, Jesus at this point is already recognized as a, uh, as a rabbi, as a teacher. And so he's, he's handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, verse 17. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, this is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent, and that's going to be important for tonight. Remember that. He has, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim it the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, 
And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. You know why? Because he's, he's recognized as a teacher. He just read the Scripture, and they're waiting for him to explain the passage that he just read, to teach. And he began to say, verse 21, he began to say to them, Today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, they weren't expecting that. But you know what he's doing there? He's announcing the coming of the kingdom. In his teaching, he is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That is, he is heralding the news that the kingdom has come. Because, even though, well, he does say this, he implies it. He doesn't say it explicitly, but he implies it. The kingdom has come because the king has come. He says, it's written, you know, he gets up and reads, it's, it's written, Isaiah 61, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Everybody knows probably that that's a prophecy concerning the Messiah. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, etc., etc. And then he closes the book or hands it back to the attendant and says, Today, this passage that I just read is fulfilled. Now, let me, let me give the same little uh, uh, warning or disclaimer, however you want to say it, that, that I gave a little earlier. If you see somebody else do that, <laughs> again, it's time to change channels or hit the door, whatever. Um, all right? Now, if they, if they tell you it's fulfilled and it's fulfilled in Christ, that's, that's good. But if they tell you they're fulfilling it, <clears throat> it's, it's time to leave. Well, unfortunately, that's what these people thought too. They thought he was a nut, um, and they wanted to kill him. But uh, in Jesus' case, he was telling the truth. He was fulfilling the Old Testament scripture. The kingdom has come. So his teaching, in other words, consisted of preaching the gospel of the kingdom, or we could say it this way, because the word preaching means to herald or to announce. His teaching consisted of announcing the coming. Of the kingdom, announcing the good news. That's what that word gospel means. Announcing the good news of the kingdom. Thirdly, healing. Boy, this one gets really tough, doesn't it? When you, when you hold up the ministry of Jesus as an example, um, there's some areas, I mean, that you have to qualify. I mean, you have, you have to say, we can't do everything that He did. I mean, we, we're going to follow, by the grace of God, we're going to follow Jesus' example insofar as, as we can. So what I'm going to do here, and I'm not, I'm not you know, trying to change something or twist the truth in any way. I'm, 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 I'm saying, I'm suggesting, I think there's an application here that is important for us. Um, we, sh- we should go and teach. We should go and preach. And by that I just mean uh, announce the good news, right? We should, we should go, follow Jesus' example, teach, explain the Word of God to people. How are we going to do that? By announcing the good news of the gospel, uh, of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom, rather. And what about this healing part? See, here, here's the thing. <clears throat> Jesus' ministry <laughs> was... was uh, was and is for the whole man. That that gets missed so much today, and and people go to all kinds of things, uh, Eastern religions, uh, you know, yoga, that kind of thing, trying trying to uh, uh, benefit the whole person, and they think, okay, if I if I read, let's say I read the scripture, for example, and I read through um, the Sermon on the Mount, and I pick up some great things. I mean, Jesus has some great Teaching. So, I'm, I read and I'm fed intellectually. And maybe there's uh, some other benefits there. Emotionally, it makes me feel good. <laughs> gives me a bubbly feeling or something. But I need something deeper. I need something, they think, for the spirit, for the soul. And so they... They, they, you know, we need a we need a, a, a holistic approach, and so they they often 
people turn to things, a lot of times even professing Christians, they turn to things like these different Eastern spiritual disciplines, yoga, whatever, uh, different types of meditation, maybe even something as innocent as just, just, just exercise. I'm only saying that to say this, that, that the Word of God, God's message is for the whole man. Intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, physically. It has benefit for the whole being. Now, that being said, how, how so? How so? Here, well, here's how it played out in Jesus' ministry. He not only preached the truth to them, He healed all manner of sickness and disease. Now, the primary thing I want us to get from here is not so much... Uh, well, I do want us to, to, to uh, see it as an example, and I'll explain that in a moment. But not just to see it as an example. In other words, again, we can go out and preach, teach. Can we go out and heal? Is that an example for us to follow? Well, let me, let me say this first of all. If you know what a cessationist is, um, I'm not a cessationist. I, I, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'm not a cessationist. A cessationist believes that uh, absolutely um, God is no longer doing miraculous things through His people. In other words, the miraculous gifts are gone. They're done away with. And they usually um, make the case by saying they went out with the apostles. You know, the apostles died and the miraculous gifts died with them. So, Jesus did miracles. Jesus healed diseases. The apostles did miracles. And then that's it. It's gone. No more. That's, that's a cessationist view. I'm not a cessationist. I don't find in the Scripture where well, I do find there is a place where it says that those types of things will end. I just don't think we're there yet. And without uh, spending a lot of time on that, if you want to look at it for yourself, that's in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, they will end, but I don't think we're there yet. But that being said, doesn't mean that every Christian has the power to heal. So I don't think, you know, practically, you know, in practice, in other words, that this is necessarily an example for us to follow. I do think, again, because I'm not a cessationist, I do think if God chooses to gift a man with the gift of healing, I believe that God is sovereign and He can do whatever He wants to do. He can do that. And certainly... Probably not a person in this room that doesn't believe that miracles happen. They just they don't necessarily happen through, uh, you know, a, a, a miraculous gift of healing like somebody equipped for that. But we pray, and oftentimes, what's the result? God does a miracle, right? Just in answer to the prayers of His people. But I still think there's an application here. In other words, I would say it this way. We are responsible to follow Jesus' example in that we bear responsibility to minister to the whole person. It's primarily, primarily teach them by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Because every person out there, their primary need is salvation. That's, that is their greatest need. But second to that, and it's not unimportant, second to that is, is, is meeting their physical needs. Now, we come across a, you know, an, an epileptic or, or, or a paralytic or um, somebody with some grievous disease, maybe AIDS or something like that. God may not gift us to lay hands on that person and say, be healed. Rise up and walk. But there are other ways in which we can minister to that person's physical need. So we are responsible to care for them, to love them, to provide for them 
uh, when uh, when the need is legitimate, when it's when folks need help. I mean, we may do that through um, through providing food for them, uh, maybe helping them find a job, maybe uh, you know going to their house and reading scripture to them, maybe baking them uh, a cake or or whatever. We are responsible for their physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. Right? Those needs are real. Now, I'm not, you hear a lot of talk about felt needs, and I'm not one of these guys that thinks we ought to go out and poll the neighborhood and find out what everybody thinks they need and then try to meet those needs. You know, I mean, there are actually churches that, that uh, send out questionnaires, you know, what, what would you like in a church, you know, and, and then use that to uh, tailor the church to fit the needs of the community. But some felt needs are real. In other words, if a person really is hungry, they, they feel that. <laughs> and if a person really is hungry, we need to get them food. And if they really are in need of clothes, we need to get them clothes. Right? So there is application here. Jesus ministered to the whole person. Teaching, preaching, and healing. And we are to do the same thing in principle. We, we may not be able to lay hands on them and heal them, but we can minister. There are ways in which we can serve them and supply their physical needs. God has given us uh, resources to do that. Um, I'm out of time here. So just in, in, in closing, let me just mention a couple of things. I'll wrap this up quick. What does is, what is Jesus' ministry mean for us? All right. How does it apply to us? Number one, liberation. He was, he, was, he was preaching and providing deliverance. That's what we just read in Luke 4.18, right? Um, another, another good reference for that would be John 8.30-36. In there, Jesus says, if you abide in My Word, and by the way, that's an all-important qualifier, if you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So He comes preaching and providing freedom, deliverance, liberation. He says, most assuredly, this is John 8.34, that same section. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. That's the reason we need to be liberated, because by nature we are slaves to sin. And the good news of the kingdom is children of the kingdom are free. So, entering the kingdom means liberation from bondage to sin and death. So, for us it means liberation. So, he says again, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, of sin. But And he goes on to say, A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. It's a message of submission. Submission to God's will. This is one of those things that... I, it's not uh, explicitly said here. Um, but it's, but at the same time, I wouldn't say it's an argument from silence. I mean, because it's here. It's, it's implied strongly. In other words, when we use, or not us, Jesus, when Jesus uses terminology like kingdom, <laughs> he's, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That implies rulership, reign, R-E-I-G-N. Not R-A-I-N, but reign. That implies lordship. And for us, that implies submission. He's teaching by preaching the good news of the kingdom. In other words, as we said earlier, the king has arrived. Well, 
to enter the kingdom in, you must be subject to the king. It's a message of submission to God's will. It's a call for us to forsake the world and live for the glory of God. It's a call for us to uh, cease loving self and love God above all things. And finally, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a message of proclamation. And we've, we really already covered this, so I'm just going to mention it again. That is that Jesus has set an example for us to do the same thing He was doing. Freely you have received, now freely give. If you're a child of the kingdom, you've got a responsibility to herald the kingdom message. The king has come. The kingdom of God has arrived. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's here because the king is here. Now, what I want to do tonight, we move into chapter 5, um, <clears throat> is look at how Jesus describes or characterizes the citizens of the kingdom. In his preaching the good news of the kingdom, he begins to describe those people that enter in. He gives us characteristics of the kingdom heirs, or again, the citizens of the kingdom of of heaven. All important. Would you stand as we close? Brother Freddie, would you mind praying for us and we'll dismiss. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.